0: Before the episode begins, I just want to acknowledge that May 21st, 2020 marked the passing of Zach Birchie, the executive editor of Anime News Network and creator of their podcast, ANCAS. I didn't know Zach personally. Uh He actually has never been on this podcast, and to be perfectly honest, I don't think he even knew it existed. But I still feel that I should acknowledge this, as ANCAST was probably a bigger influence on uh, the style and approach that I use in Zonin Canada than any other podcast or any other publication, frankly. Uh That said, I'm a little disappointed that I have to attach this to an episode that I feel is a little subpar, which is entirely my fault and, and not my guest's. It's a little thrown together. That said, uh, I am definitely going to continue to struggle to bring the type of insight and humor that Zach seemed to pull off effortlessly in uh, everything he did. Donations in Zach's memory can be made to the Glendale Humane Society and the Trevor Project. Thank you. everyone, welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host Jesse Betteridge. Uh, this of course is a podcast exploring the connections between anime and Canadian media. This episode uh, I'm doing another retrospective on a anime series that has had a unique cultural impact in Canada. And uh, I'm actually going to be continuing from a previous episode where we talked about early late night anime on Teletoon. And joining me to continue this discussion is Ashley Hacker,
1: uh, my name is Ashley Hacker,
0: I'm a visual effects artist working out of
1: Toronto, Ontario, and I'm, I'm going to be completely honest, I really miss anime conventions this year, because we're not going to any of them.
0: They're all, go- all cancelled, except Anime Matsuri, which um, we're certainly not going to. <laughs> I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we might have anime conventions again early next year, because I, th- I think there's a good chance that they might be cancelled for the first half of, of next year as well, depending on uh, on how things go. I was
1: going to say, you guys are doing quite well in BC.
0: Yeah, the Western Canada is doing okay, BC and Alberta. And they seem to be getting things under control a little more in Washington, too. But, Mm. yeah, we'll see what happens. But Anime North is supposed to be next week, and that's not happening. Not happening. Not even virtually. But at least uh, Dave Merrill's doing a virtual anime hell, though, so...
1: No, no, they are doing a, a virtual thing. I forget the date. They announced it on Friday. Oh, they did? Okay. It's like Momiji's online experience, MoE. Is it actually being run by Anime North? Or? Yeah, because Momiji okay. is their mascot. Oh, it's, right. the, okay. it's the girl. On, I know. Like, nobody knows the name of the mascot. I think they just should have called it Anime North Online because that's easy. But they they have their own branding schemes.
0: Yep. Well, that, that's nothing unusual for an anime convention. Mm. But, yeah, we're doing a retrospective on an anime series that uh, is important in Canada. And, uh, Ashley, I hope you appreciate those 13 lunches I bought for you back in high school because we're talking about Macross Plus. <laughs> which, of course, was the, I think, actually, the first anime that aired on Teletoon, because uh, Teletoon, uh, if you weren't aware, did used to run anime targeted at adults, which is, uh, of course, something that didn't really happen again. Okay, it happened a couple times, but it uh, de- definitely not something that they uh, they embraced very much over the years. Actually, what, how would you describe Macross Plus in in a nutshell?
1: The, the easy answer to that is definitely going to be it's anime Top Gun. Yeah. And that's a very good way to get your friends to want to watch it. I did, a st- I, I do anime screenings, or at least I did until a few months ago with friends. And it was easy to get a bunch of more casual anime friends in to see Macross Plus. It is a little long to do it in one night for, for four 45 minute OBA parts. But at the same time, like people who are not big anime fans had no problem getting into the show as we watched it.
0: Yeah, it is considered to be the first real sequel to the, the original uh, Super Dimension Fortress Macross from 1982. There was Macross 2, but it doesn't count because uh, Kawamori and Studio Nue weren't involved. And Shoji Kawamori, who was not not really the creator of Macross, but like the main creative mind behind it, he was uh, actively involved in the production of Macross Plus. Top Gun is something that happened after the original Macross, and it was imperative to make the sequel as much like Top Gun as possible, so he did a lot of research into to fighter jets. It resulted in some very impressive work that was supposedly co-directed by Kawamori, but it, it really seems like Kichiro um, Watanabe, who is the uh, creator of Cowboy Bebop, or the director of Cowboy Bebop, uh, probably did more of the creative lifting. But we'll, you know, we'll get into that. But Macross Plus, despite being a sequel, is very much something that anyone can jump into, which I think is a big part of why... It was an important title to run on Teletoon, especially when the station first launched in the early days of uh, Extended Cable in Canada. There's also a movie version of Macross Plus, which has the four OVA episodes edited down into one movie. Everyone I have spoken to says that they like that version a little better and even has some extra footage. It has an extended sequence with, with Gold fighting the, the AI fighter jet, uh, which is apparently really impressive. I still haven't seen the movie version. I don't know about you.
1: I actually haven't, because I, generally, movie versions of animes aren't, are not very good, or they're a little too abridged, so I've generally skipped them. I mean, maybe the glaring exception to that is the, the the, the original Gundam trilogy movies.
0: Yeah. But the thing is, the Macross Plus was originally meant to be a movie, and mm. it's, the OVA, I find, is really structured like a movie. The first three episodes are basically building up to the fourth episode, which is where all, everything, all the plot elements kind of culminate together. And I can see why it would be a little better if you maybe trimmed some of the fat and made it a movie and extended some of the, uh, some of the action sequences a bit, which is apparently uh, what it does. It does make it especially unfortunate with the way that uh, Teletoon originally presented Macross Plus though, because when they first started running it in uh, in October of 1997, in fact I think Teletoon launched October 17th, 1997, uh, and they ran late night anime on Friday and Saturday nights, I couldn't Find actual documentation of this, but I believe Macross Plus actually, the first episode aired the first night, uh, that Teletoon was on the air. Uh, so they had, you know, they had anime day one. Uh, and it unfortunately just was something that did not stick. But they would run anime every weekend throughout 1997 and 1998. Uh, but they would only run the first three episodes of Macross Plus, which is Really, which would be really frustrating because uh, you're not getting that payoff from the fourth episode. If you, I, I've, you, if you go back on, you can go on Usenet and look at some discussions that were happening back in 1997 and 1998, and people are just infuriated by the fact that they keep running these episodes over and over again without the resolution in the fourth um, in the fourth episode. Uh, and I, I don't think there was ever really an explanation of why that happened. I know there was production problems with the dub of part four, but it had already been released, uh, by the time this Yeah, because uh,
1: episode four was, has also as an alternate dub, and technically yeah. that's the only dub that's
0: available now for that episode. It's, uh, it's weird. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a little frustrating, but basically they had to produce the fourth, the, the dub of that fourth episode, because there were no, there was no separated voice and sound effect tracks that they could work with, so they had to recreate. There was a
1: song license issue too, I
0: think? May, uh, possibly. I know that, all of the background music in the, in the original dub version of episode four is substituted except for the Sharon Apple songs. Everything else they had to, re- to recreate. And that uh, may, may have created some, some technical issues that made it difficult to broadcast. I don't know. The point is they kept running those three episodes over and over again. But after a year, uh, about in the spring of 1999, they did finally get the fourth episode and they brought this late night anime back both to showcase the fourth episode and finally let people watch it, and I think also because their license for the manga entertainment titles was about to run out. I think it was definitely a two-year license that they had for those things. So they decided to give it uh one last go, with no intention of getting any more, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, in the last episode where we talk about late-night anime, we focused on the movies that they licensed from manga entertainment. The two Pat Labor movies, Ninja just Yeah, Soul, this is the only OVA This was the only OVA, the only series, and uh, Royal Space Force as well. Uh, I encourage you to go back to that episode because uh, we paint a little bit of a picture of what Extended Cable looked like in Canada at this time. It was a, a real frontier, you could say, where broadcasters were just kind of throwing out anything they could get their hands on and seeing what would stick, which in the case of Teletoon, that resulted in a very inconsistent lineup, but also one that was wildly experimental. And this was actually the first time that Macross Plus showed up anywhere in English outside of the home video release. Those are the only kind of circumstances where you could, you know, see something like Macross Plus on TV. And I think, to me, that's why uh, this particular broadcast is important. Uh, Years later, Teletoon would run like Akira and Armitage and uh, a few other, the Appleseed movies as well. I'm sure more people watched those than saw Macross Plus or any of the other manga movies. But... You know, just this particular era of the early days of extended cable, I think, makes the broadcast of this uh, manga entertainment stuff a little more, a little more notable. Just the
1: range, depending what time of day you're watching Teletune, that doesn't happen anymore.
0: Yeah, and especially today when Teletoon is is strictly a children's channel. Uh, it, we've seen a, a complete change in their in, in their approach to that. But they were one of the first stations to anywhere in the world to have a. Uh, to be a children's station during the day and an adult station at night. Even though a lot they of the were co-
1: an animation station, yeah. is probably the better word.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Well, they on paper they were functionally they were a children's broadcaster during the day <laughs> and focused on adult audiences at night. But they're you know they had their, that phased approach with youth pro- or young children, families, and then adults. What made it possible for them to do that is the fact that they could be recognized in their license as being. Not a children's broadcaster, but an animation broadcaster, and that the fact that they could run things based on that distinction, um, and that's a big reason why they picked up anime, because in their original pitch, in the original regulatory pitch for the station, um, they said that they would, you know, showcase animation for different audiences uh, from around the world, and anime fit that bill for getting the station off the ground, but unfortunately, it's something they just didn't decide to stick with. If you uh, if you look on YouTube, you can see some promos floating around for Macross Plus, and th- there there's one early promo, I think, for episode three, and it feels like they're accurately describing the series, but they're they have it and their marketing has a they have a really difficult time trying to pinpoint what the appeal was. A conspiracy and a conflict between lovers. You little punk,
1: I warned you, I won't let you catch us! <laughs> How could anyone possibly cancel this project? In a swirl of malice, the fallen angel awakens. I'm, I'm cancelling this project and getting that damn tip pulled wow. out. Protecting what they cherish most, young spirits fly into the sky. The
0: show is about to begin. Macross Plus, Volume 3. And uh, I know that how we both first discovered Macross Plus was in that second airing, uh, when they had earlier time slots in the spring of 1999, and, and that year when the license was running out, and they just wanted to get that fourth episode out and try exposing it to a bit of a wider audience. The way they promoted it was significantly better. Even though Teletoon didn't seem to have any intention of keeping anime going on the station, at least they kind of figured out what the appeal of something like Macross Plus was with the promotion that they cut for it.
1: Yeah, and that's when I got into it, because I got in, I seriously got into anime in about 2000. It was unavoidable on television beforehand and you need to be channel surfing, looking at the preview channels, seeing what's up and bumping into stuff at Teletoon. It wasn't until 2000 looking seriously at anime and stuff and getting into it with other classmates at school. And so yeah, we were able to see the fourth episode plus people started, you know, trading DVD rips and stuff.
0: Yeah, because the, I think the DVDs would have been out at this point too. Or they, were they were definitely out. They were out around the same time. But yeah, the, second run promo they made really creates a strong impression they didn't have any narration they focused with yoko kano music because of course yoko kano Mm. uh did the soundtrack for this uh series and it took two tracks set them against well-chosen clips and it just does a really good job of selling what made this series special and what set it apart from other things you may have seen on tv at that time um, I think for a lot of people, it was probably the first time they had heard any music by Yoko Kano as well.
1: And music was not usually a selling point for anime until then. Like, usually it's about the show's gimmick, whether it was uh Monster Rancher or Pokemon or Sailor Moon or stuff. But this is like, no, it's cool music in airplanes. Like, you're, like, it's a whole soundtrack of amazing songs.
0: Yeah. And, and I think this was a few months before Escaflone hit the airwaves, and that probably would have been a lot of people's first exposure to, to, to Yoko Kano tracks and, and the, you know, the Escaflonia soundtrack was mangled, but most of the important tracks were, were left in even though even though they were rearranged. I liked that dance intro that Fox Kids did. It's not bad for what it is. It's just disappointing compared to, uh, yes. to the original. So 1999, I think, was a year that a lot of people got exposed to Yoko Kano's music as a result of that. But yeah, Yoko Kano, was doing the music, and as I mentioned, Shinichiro Watanabe, who's the director of Cowboy Bebop, he pretty much did a legwork in terms of the direction for the, the OVA, which is kind of funny because he's kind of become notorious for being very hands-off in his directional style since then. Um, but when you look at the staff that worked on Macross Plus, uh, it's pretty, it's almost one-to-one for Cowboy Bebop, uh, a couple of years later. The biggest difference was the character designer. Um, Cowboy Bebop's character designer was Toshihiro Kawamoto. It was Masayuki, uh, for Macross Plus. And Masayuki, of course, is one of Hideaki Anno's right-hand men. Mm. Um, he, uh, he did, he did a lot of work on Evangelion and, well, basically anything that Hideaki Anno works on, Masayuki is, uh, is, is there replicating a lot of his style a lot of the time. But yeah, he did, this is a rare instance where he did the character designs. For something. Um, this is the first anime writing credit for Keiko Nobumoto. Uh, she was a screenwriter of Cowboy Bebop and Tokyo Godfathers. More or less the creator of Wolf's Reign. She hasn't done anything else for uh, anime since then, apart from writing the occasional script for Shinichiro Watanabe's series. Um, which is too bad, because shes I think she's really the, the heart of what made... Uh, Cowboy Bebop and, and Wolf's Reign great. But yeah, you see in the, in Macross Plus, you see a lot of early elements that would evolve into Cowboy Bebop later. And with the, uh, we were talking about Yoko Kano. This was her second anime soundtrack that she contributed titles to. The first was, uh, Please Save My Earth, OVA, a few years earlier. This is the first time that she's actually done the full soundtrack, uh, for something. De- definitely one of the standout aspects of the series and you know, music was an important part of the original, uh, Macross as well. Uh, it takes, she takes a very different approach to keeping music central, uh, to things, but I think it's, it's, it's highly effective. You get a very, as with Cowboy Bebop and most of her other work, you get a really eclectic range of the, the main intro voices, which was dubbed into English for, uh, the English version is probably one of the, the, the standouts that, again, it was one of the, titles that was used in the, the ad that Teletoon cut. And uh, it actually is based on an existing work, uh, uh which is from... I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. Uh, it was featured in uh, *Peleas a Melisande by uh, Gabriel Thalray. Yoko Kano adapts a lot of uh, existing work in a lot of her music, uh, which is, you know, somewhat controversial at times. Um, in this case, it's a, you know, it's a public domain work. So, you know, I, I would give it a pass. Um, and that's a, a big reason why a lot of her work is, is kind of eclectic as well. The central theme to the series is this idea of pioneering. Uh, and you see like on-screen text referring to this all the time. To all the pioneers. Yeah, yeah uh, to all the pioneers. Uh, and, you know, it, it has this, this idea of pioneering new technology, which is kind of what's going on at the surface. Um, I, I was reading one interview uh, that, uh, with, with Shoji Kawamori, where he talks about one of the dry, one of the main things he wanted to explore in Macross Plus was new technology and how, or I'll just, I'll just read the, the segment right here. Uh, in a new form of media, if a new form of media were to come out, I'd like to try that. I mean, it's been a hundred years since movies were invented, right? It's an extreme sense. Everything fundamental to movies was done within the first 30 years. It's frustrating and disappointing. That's why I like to work on a new medium itself. Something that's not moving pictures. You may be able to express different things on television, but it's still just an extension of movies. Uh, and I, I want to be part of those first thirty years. This time, it happened to be able to test a fusion of computers and animation. And of course, he's referring to to Sharon Apple, who is the virtual idol who's featured in Macross Plus. Um, but that's still just an application. I don't want that. I wanted, I want to do the underlying development. It's frustrating, leaving aside whether it was good or bad. I was born in Japan. They were saying Hollywood was on its last legs, but they used computers to recover after all. So the uh, the OVA has these two kind of converging elements of testing, competing competing military technology and the development of an AI idol. And I think he's very much trying to apply that same idea of pioneering to what at that time would have been seen as an unexplored concept. I, I, I doubt that Macross Plus was the first thing that explored the idea of an AI idol, but it was probably one of the most notable things up to that point. I don't think that William Gibson's um, Aideru had come out at that point. Shioji Kawamori and Shinshiro Watanabe are credited as co-directors, and while, you know, Kawamori did the storyboards and he did a lot of, the, I think, a lot of the thematic conceptual work, I think when you watch Macross Plus, what you really see is a lot of, uh, Shinshiro Watanabe's flair for things like, you know, multiculturalism and crowds, uh, and just the, the, the movement of the characters. Uh, it's, you know, it's very distinct and much like how Cowboy Bebop is the first anime for a lot of people, uh, I think that Macross Plus carries a lot of those elements, uh, that will seem fresh and appealing to people who not only are not familiar with the original Macross, but aren't familiar with anime at all.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: I was thinking about it after you said it.
1: And, like, Cowboy Bebop is one of those animes that's very easy to have it resonate well with, like, let's go with non-otaku. Mm-hmm. Like, there, I have lots of friends who, like, are not particularly into anime, but they love Cowboy Bebop. I so have it on Blu-ray and stuff. And in a lot of ways, Macross Plus is a lot like that. It's not bogged down by a lot of anime tropes, other other than technically giant robots. But even then, they're like fighter jets. It's cool. And so it stands out. And like even aesthetically, the way the characters are drawn in some ways don't really look terribly anime,
0: like the, in terms of the character design. Kawamori was almost simultaneously producing Macross Plus and Macross 7, which was the, the TV series that came out right after.
1: I watched that a couple years ago, and it's, it's interesting to see them try to advertise Macross Plus in Macross 7.
0: I haven't, I haven't watched any of Macross 7, actually. Uh, actually, I've, I've seen very little of Macross. I've watched the first half of, about the first half of the original series as Robotech, which, actually, when it was airing on Space, uh, many years ago, I've been, for years, I've been meaning to go back and watch the full original Macross, but I still just haven't gotten around to it. Um, even though, ironically, it's more accessible than ever, uh, despite the fact that people keep accusing Harmony Gold of, of trying to hide it. They're um, both on Amazon. And Tubi, I think another streaming service as well. Uh, you you get your pick. You can watch Macross or Robotech on Amazon. Yeah, or the Robotech Remastered version, which contains uh, some restored footage. But I, I still I still haven't gotten to that. I have seen Do You Remember Love, which is fantastic. And Macross Plus. I haven't watched any of the stuff that comes out after. I've been meaning to, to give Seven a try. Um, I have watched one episode of... Macross Frontier, which was enough to know that I didn't want to watch more of it at that time. Frontier oh, is great. Yeah, I, you I don't know, know what? what you're talking about. Y- you know what? Fair enough. I I'm willing to give Frontier another another go. I think maybe maybe I just need to, to give it a fresh approach. Uh, you know, a decade later or whatever. But yeah, Macross Seven has much more of what you you call like a manga based approach. Whereas oh, Macross hmm. Plus is much more influenced by Western cinema. Uh, if if
1: someone asks me, is Macross 7 just, like, more Macross Plus, I'm like, no, nope. no, it's very anime. <laughs> yeah. But there were cases of, like, the protagonist aircraft is a, a VF-19, which is, it's the YF-19, the experimental version that the Isamu is piloting in Macross Plus. Yes. And they even do some, like, Sharon Apple insert songs on the radio and stuff. I'm guessing it's like, well, we paid for these songs, we're going to get them two shows.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, Macross 7 was running on a TV budget, so anything That's they cool. could, any... Any, any conceptual or like m- music or anything like that, that they could reuse in Macross 7, I'm sure they did. Um, but it, you know, it also keeps, cause the two projects were intertwined to, to a degree. Um Shoji Kalamori is, is credited as director on both, or co-director on both of them, but even despite the fact that they're very different, I, I think Kalamori's more of a, uh, just kind of sticking his fingers in things to make sure everything is going the way he wants, rather than real hands-on, um Technical director Mm. kind of guy because he's he's co he's co director on almost every Macross thing since the since since two, Um, but they're all very different and and distinct from each other. Apart from just the central Macross ideas, like you have a love triangle, you have fighter jets, and you have some kind of you have some kind of idol, yeah, some kind of pop idol element to it. Um, As long as it has those things, it is it's a Macross.
1: For me, it was my first exposure to the Macross world. And the way the show is presented, you you don't even necessarily know there's more. Well, the the OVA series itself makes some references to original Macross, like we're in the bar and they're singing and karaoke and it's My Boyfriend is a Pilot. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Things like that. But you can miss that and just think it's some song they wrote for it. So watching the show originally in around 2000, 2001, versus when I was actually watching it uh, about a year ago with friends, I was able to pick up far more of the references going on in the show. And including the fact that the OVA makes no explanation of what his Entradi is or micronization. Yeah. But I didn't ask too many questions when I watched that in 2000. I mean, the context makes more sense now, but it wasn't essential. So you, there is no like canonical baggage that's necessary to bring with you to enjoy this show at all.
0: The central focus on the series is the 30th anniversary of the peace treaty um, that happens. I guess not not at the end of Macross, but a little little before the ending, because it has that extended two year sequence at the end. But they don't really get into the details of it. the The only stray element that doesn't get explained is the fact that Gold, who is one of the main characters, is half Zentradi and is green uh, because of that. Um, but it, it also it also raises the question of like why are there no other Zentradi? Uh, because they're celebrating this this um this thirty year peace treaty. And you only you only ever see humans around, which, um, if you're familiar if you're familiar more familiar with the original, that actually might raise more questions, uh, regarding that approach, which I thought I thought was a little interesting. But also again, I I didn't finish I never finished the original Macross, so there might be elements that I'm but if you do look at Macross
1: Seven or Macross Delta, sorry Macross Frontier, which came many years later, they they do include the Sentroid significantly. So you're right, it it, it must have been a a sort of creative. Mission chosen on purpose. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they wanted the show to appeal, like, to be this kind of broad appeal, and it's not just a coincidence.
0: So th- there's one other director who was involved uh, in some key scenes. Uh, it was Koji Morimoto the, who was probably best known as the director of the Magnetic Rose sequence in Memories. The, uh, the, you know, which is usually associated with Satoshi Kon since he wrote that one. But the director was Koji Morimoto. He directed all the Sharon Apple concert sequences and. Yeah, I guess also the scenes where the concerts bleed into AI takeover in the in the final episode. Um, I think that's really notable because that is some of the most distinctive stuff that you'll find in this OVA. Just the, the way that those sequences take such a music video kind of approach and very novel way of integrating CGI uh, into this. In fact, I found the CGI integration to be, they were very selective about where they used it. In hmm. Macross Plus, and I found it to be you're you're, see, you're seeing it used in the s- sort of ethereal Share and Apple music con- uh uh music concert sequences, things like the creation of logos and background advertisements, and the Macross Plus logo at the beginning itself, which is just the Share and Apple logo. It's used very sparingly, and it creates the strongest impression during those uh Share and Apple concert sequences, uh, and I think that that goes really goes a long way in. Just establishing the visual impact of Macross Plus as a whole, uh, just those sequences on their own. This would have been about the same time that Koji Morimoto was, would have been directing Magnetic Rose. Um, you, you can kind of see that streak he was on at that mm. time. And that, uh, you know, plays a big role in what makes the idol aspect of, of Macross Plus distinct.
1: This show has a really good hook at the very beginning. Like it's, let's say it's late nineties, very, like early 2000 or so. And, and there's certain ideas of what kind of animation you've seen on TV before. And when this comes on, you get this, this somber opening with, with the, the, the cycle plane they're making. And then immediately after, it's like deep space. And it is this most amazing kinetic dog fighting sequence with detailed animation and fluidity of movement that, that is com- just about completely unprecedented to what most of us have seen at the time. And, then, and only after then do you really get to see that this is Macross, this is a whole thing, and it's going to be what, 160 minutes, fun crack? Right. And that is such an amazing way and strong way to start this and really get someone hooked. Like, whoa, what is this? I want to see more of this. And the voice acting is really good. And like I said, you, you have no canonical baggage in order to stay, keep into it. You're not just watching because it's cool. The story is engaging and keeping you pulled in. And maybe we should uh we should
0: touch on the English dub as well. Brian Cranston or uh Solid Snake. Lee, Lee yeah or Lee Stone as he is uh, credited in the in the actual release but it is Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad uh fame who plays the main character Isamu.
1: Is it sad that I'm old enough to see him more as Hal from Malcolm in the Middle?
0: Oh yeah, and and Hal from Malcolm in the Middle. We I'm, that just, I'm assuming should... people I'm assuming people know that connection. And at the time that he was um recording this, he did multiple Power Rangers monster voices. He was in a whole bunch of ads. He was doing all this small work early in his career and it's pretty rare that someone who gets their start doing that many very visible kind of small projects would make the jump to do something as as big as he did in the end you know a lot of people make fun of that but it's, it's pretty impressive so he plays the main character uh richard epcar uh who we know is you know bateau from ghost in the shell uh, multiple voices in loop on the third uh he's uh he's the second character he's the the secondary protagonist, the secondary character, uh...
1: Part-time
0: antagonist. Part-time antagonist, uh, Gold Goa Bowman, who is, uh, the half-Zentradi, you know, basically the idea is that Usamu and Gold are each testing different, uh, test fighter pilots, the YF-19 and the YF-21. Uh, I I guess Isamu's is more of a manual-controlled kind of device, whereas Gold's has a, uh... How, it's how like a just, how,
1: telepathic telepath. Yeah. I don't know telepathic link. It's it's a mental link. He there, the plane is link, like yeah. part of him. When they show that sequence, he's like thinking of stretching his fingers and such, and that's when the wings change shape. Yeah. Like it's like he is the plane. It's, it's very interesting it, way. They, I, I they showed the,
0: it very well. Yeah, I I think the movie convey to uh, emphasizes it a little more, especially in the final sequence. Again, I haven't I. Should have watched it in advance and I didn't. Central to the series is the you know, that kind of new rivalry between those two characters. Um and then we have uh the female lead, uh Myung Fang Lone, who is played by she's credited as Ann Sherman, it's Riva Spear. Um she hasn't been in that much that many anime titles uh over the years the, the, the dub overall is a, is a bit of a mixed bag i think that the more recognizable actors do do a good job uh the others not so much um she, she she gives a bit of a mixed performance i find but central to this story is you know there used to be a love triangle between these three characters um and that's kind of kind of uh, lurking under the surface of everything that's going on uh but these three characters used to be friends in high school, and but Myung is now producer for Sharon Apple, who is the uh, supposedly AI or partially AI idol. The dub was directed by by uh, by Quint Lancaster, who was actually Kevin Seymour, who sadly died a few years ago. Um, you know he's he's been in charge of some of the most notable English dubs, uh, mostly LA-based ones that we've seen from the late 90s and early 2000s. He did. Uh, the second Akira dub, he did Cowboy Bebop, he did Ghost in the Shell, more than I can name. Um, if there was a an LA based dub that you know that had a big impact, chances are he was behind it. And I think I don't think this was his first one, but it was definitely one of the first dubs that he produced. And he he definitely had a touch for for, for, with a, for an approach to voice acting that, like I said, it was a bit of a, a mixed bag in this particular case. But I think he knew how to produce something that. Would appeal to, to to more general audiences and ca- kind of maintain more of a cinematic flavor than a typical typical cartoon dub. Absolutely, a lot of the time, yeah. Um, now now th- we were talking earlier about how episode four was redubbed uh, at a certain point for the the Blu-ray release in Japan. So what happened was when part four was originally dubbed by Manga Entertainment they actually had to delay the episode, or releasing the episode, because they weren't provided with a separated audio, or a separated dialogue and music track. So they had to recreate everything from scratch, which created some major audio issues. I don't know whether those audio issues resulted in the delay of part four airing on Teletoon, or if it created some kind of technical problem with airing them on television. It's hard to say, but... For some reason, uh, the, the quality of the audio in this episode was not seen as adequate for the Japanese release. So you have this weird situation where it's one of the few Blu-ray titles that you could almost justify importing from Japan, um, because it has, you know, the, the original dub, but it only has the original dub for the first three episodes. Mm -hmm. For episode four, uh, they went, they actually, through Bandai Visual, went back and redubbed the entire episode a decade later. Um and unfortunately they could not get uh many members of the cast back. Brian Cranston, obviously at that point was not available to replies. To at the least not at a price Sago. they could afford. Not yeah. More interestingly, Richard Epcar, they didn't even get him back to play gold. They wound up having getting Michael Gregory to do him in the uh in, in that which is in in the redub, which is unfortunate because um, you know, I, I guess there was a, 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 he just wasn't available at the time because it, Richard Eckhart was quite active at that time. It seems like they, they should have been able to get him for this project, which makes me question what their priority was in actually redubbing this when they couldn't get the primary actor. Uh, the, Especially the since they back. It,
1: it's, it's a Japanese release, so why are they even terribly concerned with the dub? I'm assuming though it's primarily related to music rights. Like music is such a big deal in terms of licensing and everything else for an anime.
0: So if I recall correctly, I think the reason that they gave for including the dub, uh, was to, cr- to create cinema, to, to a Japanese audience, the cinematic experience of watching a Hollywood movie in English with Japanese subtitles. Which. What a fascinating for, approach. Yeah. Which for something like Macross Plus, it makes perfect sense because that's what Macross Plus is emulating to begin with. Um, why they why they chose to redub episode four rather than just creating an entire fresh dub for the movie version, which has never been dubbed, and giving the option to watch that with Japanese subtitles. That seems like it would have made more sense, mm. and it would have been a more comprehensive experience. But there you go. That's uh, that's what we got in the end. I will admit I have, uh, Blu-ray rips for all the original episodes and I, uh, and I, I just took that original dub from the fourth episode of my own DVDs and muxed it in on the, uh, on the Blu-ray. So I have my, my own little perfected version even though. Yeah, which you can choose
1: I, which audio track you want now. Yeah. I, uh,
0: I don't know why I went through the effort of doing that when, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on this dub anyway, but it's consistent.
1: Not to mention it is the dub you listened to many years ago. It's the dub you always listened to on the DVD if you yeah. watched it.
0: Exactly.
1: Like when, when we showed it with friends, we put it to a vote when episode four came up. It's like, all right guys, solid snake or how from Malcolm in the Middle, who do we want for the <laughs> final episode? Yeah.
0: I'm we did sorry, wind we... up going with the original dub. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, we brushed over that. David Hader, uh, played Os- <laughs> yeah, Isamu in the redub, which also a strange choice because I, he wasn't really that active in anime dubbing at that time. But no, yeah, many many interest many strange um, quirks in that in that redub. They they were able to get like most mostly the actors who hadn't done anime in years. That, and I think Steve Bloom uh, they got back as uh, as the primary antagonist, Marge Gwelda. But uh, yeah, so we have that that weird situation. And um, I should probably talk a little about the legal situation with Macross as well uh, because Macross Plus was actually available still. Uh you could buy the DVDs, you could watch it streaming on Tubi until earlier this year. And there were DVDs in print? Yeah, they in the best? Well, so I think Manga Entertainment printed like a like a a Oh, I of see DVDs old stock. and they they but you could still buy new ones until a couple of years ago. Uh but it was more importantly, Macross Plus was streaming on Tubi TV until early this year. Macross has always been interesting because it has been a major exception to the legal battle that has been going on between the US licensor of the original Macross, Harmony Gold, and uh the the rights holders in Japan, Tatsunoko and Big West. And there was a whole there's been a a, a years decades long decades. legal battle going on because Tatsunoko sold the rights to Harmony Gold uh who are very aggressive in protecting that license in North America to the point where it has prevented other Macross titles, apart from the original Macross, from being released here. Uh, the only exceptions um, were Macross 2, which is the previous OVA that uh, you know is largely considered to be discontinuity, and Macross Plus. Uh, so it's it's kind of unclear why that is. I've heard some accounts saying it's just because Harmony Gold wanted to show that they weren't being merciless in their protection of the macross franchise and they let manga entertainment get their hands on those two but i also know that macross that manga entertainment put some money into macross plus because you actually see them in the japanese credits so it was probably a combination of those two things of why they were able to hold on to the rights for so long
1: Hmm.
0: but that lasted until earlier this year when harmony gold's uh licensing of the original macross was supposed to well no it did expire in early may uh of 2020 but last year it was they did announce that um they were able to relicense it uh from the I right cannot believe that happened and yeah uh they they let them have it and this time there is no legal ambiguity whatsoever uh into harmony golds rights to the macross franchise in north america and in fact the situation might be worse now because Macross plus being removed from Two B T V seemed to coincide with um with the renew with the, the license renewal. So I think that uh, they now have control of this and are able to, to suppress it the way they've been suppressing Macross Frontier and Macross Seven and Macross Delta and everything else and Dear Remember Love. And But now you that... can watch Shadow Chronicles. <laughs> yeah, you can watch Shadow Chronicles on Funimation now. Uh, actually Funimation actually controls the, they, they're actually handling the actual home video rights to Macross. Um, uh, in fact, I think they're managing most of the Robotech license on behalf of Harmony Gold now. So, right now, if there's any hope of getting those later Macross titles, uh, out it would be with Funimation, and unfortunately Funimation is uh, not as reliable as they used to be.
1: <laughs> we we actually had the, the Harmony Gold people at our convention in the mid-2000s, because they were doing that whole Robotech Shadow Chronicles tour. Yeah. Same, and they same, were the guests at our convention, and, you know, they showed some previews and stuff, and at the time it seemed like anything related to Robotech was a win, even if, you know, it was kind of the what people would sometimes consider a bastardized version of it. We weren't so picky back then.
0: Yeah, here in Vancouver, Anime Evolution for years had difficulty getting industry to come, except Harmony Gold. Uh, I imagine that Harmony Gold was willing to pay the price. Um, who who was the uh the rep they usually sent out? He's still working with them.
1: I remember they sent a couple of guys up to our convention. On, it's funny though because because Robotech, Shadow Chronicles, and that stuff connects so poorly unless you watch specifically Robotech, which I don't think the fandom was really that centered on around then. Yeah. Cross Plus to at least until Macross Frontier came out probably had the strongest impact
0: on the anime fandom. Yeah. Um so sorry, as I was saying, Anime Evolution had no problem getting Harmony Gold and uh the rep, I can't remember his name, but uh I asked him if he knew that Robotech had not aired nationally in Canada and he was uh very displeased that I brought that up because he was well aware of the fact that it had. This is be- this was before it was airing on Space. Um <laughs> Um but it started airing on space a little later, and that's actually where I saw most of of Macross. And I I I was gonna mention how it was kind of weird that Teletoon didn't try to play up the uh the Robotech connection mm. with Macross Plus, but in the end it may have been better that they didn't. Um because well, first of all, they don't they didn't understand the context of any of this stuff, so they probably wouldn't have known that connection to begin with. Uh but also I don't think a lot of people in Canada had seen Robotech because it had only... If you saw it, it's because you lived in one of these specific markets where you could get a, uh, a border station from the United States with running yeah. it.
1: There was one kid at my school who'd, like, actually seen episodes. It, yeah. Like, around that time, you could start downloading episodes and stuff, but no, that, that's a different kind of exposure in that era. That was who had who had good access versus, like, what was on TV.
0: Yeah, if you got... Uh, and I, I asked... Um, I asked Cameron Archer about this. If you got WUHF from Rochester, uh I don't know what I think some areas in Ontario get that border station. That's a Fox this, station, right? It's Fox, yeah. I got that um, station. It was on our cable too. Yeah, yeah. And if you got KVOS here in Vancouver out of Bellingham, uh those I think those may have actually been the only two stations running running Robotech back in the um, in the nineteen eighties uh so and you know back then chances are you weren't getting it on cable either you had Mm. to get it through an antenna so if you were able to pick those stations up on your antenna you could have watched robotech if you were in one of those two cities so again not very well exposed in canada so this macross plus probably was the first exposure many people just watching tv had to just macross at all and in some
1: ways for a lot of people it would be their last (laughs) it would
0: be their last as well yes um, I don't know, I don't know how popular Robotech was when it ran on, on space, but that's a, that's a bit of a different era. Uh, we're just, I, I didn't even there. realize it aired on space. That was later in the 2000s? It was about 2006, yeah. Oh, I probably wasn't watching Space
1: then. I'm guessing they used the, uh, the new ADB dub for that?
0: No, no, it was, it was Robotech. It was the remastered oh, I see. Robotech, uh, the one that had addition, like, where they restored as much footage as they could with, uh, with the parts that were dubbed without so basically any any footage that was cut from the original Macross that didn't have characters talking, they restored it, which, you know, included some fan service too, which was, you know, it was great. 5.30 p.m. on uh, on Space. But yeah, that was really, that, that was the Robotech experience for most of Canada, for the most part, unless you were getting tapes from someone from the States or or, again, downloading it as soon as internet became an option for getting that kind of stuff. So yeah, I guess maybe we'll just, we'll just finish off by just talking a little more about uh, the, the story of Macross Plus itself. So as we, men- as we mentioned before, it was originally supposed to be a movie, uh, but it was instead modified into four OVAs. We should have watched the movie, <laughs> then we can, we can compare the two. But watching it again, it really struck me just how much of a prototype it was for, uh, for Cowboy Bebop's storyline overall. Um, because central to, central to Macross Plus, uh, and, you know, as, as it's mostly exposed in the, in the final episode is that the, the focus on these three characters who are trying to move away from this traumatic event that happened, uh, back when they were in high school, you never really get a full picture of what actually happened there. Uh, very similar to Cowboy Bebop, where they never fully explain, what the bat, what the background between Spike and Vicious and Julia was. Uh, you never get the full picture of what was really going on in mm. this love triangle between Isamu and Gold and Myung, and you just get a few fa- a few flashbacks with very little context. Um, it seems that uh, she- Gold may have been dating Myung, but she then, but then uh, Gold caught her with um, with Isamu and then some violence and, and possibly yeah. assault happened. Uh, again, it's really not clear. And the characters, however, just kind of bury that, and they hide it with with petty things like high school rivalry. Um, and that's the way that Cowboy Be Up's a little better, because um, I think a lot of people seem to get hung up on the high school rivalry aspect um in in macross plus when it's actually just supposed to be a facade
1: yeah you get that one scene with mayun's face
0: and she's all horrified during the flashback and it's like oh this is actually pretty bad it really stands out to me that it's again what's what's not said um is uh has so much importance uh but again it's a lot a lot easier to miss it's a little sloppier compared to to some of the things keiko Nobumoto did later um but you you can really tell this is uh This is the kind of story that she wants to tell and and what she excels at. Um, I also read one interesting thing about how there was a Macross Plus novelization that she wrote in 1996. There was a character in the novel named Glenn who became a woman due to a mysterious disease that happened. And it seems that that character's story is what evolved into uh, Jupiter Jazz in Cowboy Bebop as well. Hmm. So th- there's a lot that bridges Macross Plus and, and Cowboy Bebop together creatively. And again, Ca- Cowboy Bebop, widely considered one of the best introductions to anime a person can have. Oh, absolutely. I is, is 20 wide. years later, sounds like, what's a good yeah. anime to start on, yeah. Bebop? Yeah. But that y- you see those elements in Macross Plus too, as well. And unfortunately, nothing else has really captured that since, even, even from the same creative staff. Um, actually, I was... I, have you watched um, Carol and Tuesday? Um, yeah, I just finished that a little while ago, like uh, about yeah. a month or two. It,
1: it was before lockdown began, but it, I think it was the it was this year in twenty twenty. I didn't and watched the uh, the fan sub only from Japanese Netflix.
0: I I enjoyed Carol and Tuesday a lot, but one thing that let me down was the way it handled AI. I thought it was going to be more of an expansion of of some of the ideas in Macross Plus.
1: It felt like they were um,
0: building something there, and then they yeah. just kind of abandoned that thread. They yeah, uh, and I was especially disappointed with the the one character who was designing all the AI. It it seems that he was really underutilized, uh, which was which was disappointing. Um, whereas the the AI just kind of became um, just a minor illustration of of uh, Angela's characterization rather than something that uh, despite factored, I think, like, factored into E3 something greater. Yeah.
1: Show trying to build up to something with that whole thread.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that I found that to be a little, little bit of a letdown after what we see play out with Sharon Apple in, in Macross Plus. But again, Carolyn Tooth is a very different kind of show and it's something you had to approach from a different mindset as well. So man, it's kind of understandable, but it, it, it still shows that there's a lot of that, uh, a lot of the creative energy from Macross Plus is still, uh, still running into other things today too, from that, from that same staff.
1: I wonder how well that show is going to age with Instagram references and South by Southwest and everything. <laughs> well, it's, it's already,
0: it's all, it's already aged badly with the South by Southwest stuff because, um. That's a one year postponement. Well, Shinchiro Watanabe was supposed to appear at, uh, at South by Southwest along with the, uh, the, the musical voices of, of Carol and Tuesday and, you know, it was supposed, to, it was supposed to be this big tie into reality. Um, well, maybe or maybe, this to be is how, why, why this Southwest is on Mars now. Yeah. They had to abandon Earth after the pandemic. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think, uh, if, I think Carolyn Tuesday is something we can appreciate, uh, for the time it was created, uh, for in sure. The future. But yeah, I think, uh, I would agree. I would, I would say Macross Plus. You know, obviously despite being very obviously from the 90s has probably aged a little better. Here's how I think of it. Um, if you were to pick two anime that character, or two specific shows that fully embody anime from the 90s, I think, well, one would obviously be Saber Marionette. I've not that, seen that show. Neither, I haven't really seen much of it, but it's aesthetic, uh, embodies a lot of the things that people think about when they think of anime from the 90s. So you'd put that on one pedestal, but on the other pedestal, I think you'd put Macross Plus. It is 90s as hell, but in all of the absolute best ways.
1: Yeah, it's weird and it's experimental, but it's like really impressive. And it embodies the idea of like, this is something you've never seen before, at least as a Western viewer in that era.
0: So Macross Plus, a uh, true classic from the 90s. A important part of uh, Teletoon's history that I don't think we should forget because that was a very interesting uh, time in the history of media here in this country for sure. Canadian
1: fans, it was very good as a, a very introductory yeah. anime to get you into this fandom much deeper after
0: that. Very much so. And unfortunately, not accessible today, at least not legally. Hopefully, one day uh, this Harmony Gold nonsense can be worked out and uh, people can watch. Macross Plus in, uh, all of its HD glory, even if it doesn't have Brian Cranston for the whole Could thing. Could you
1: imagine Funimation doing that? They just like, they dub Macross, they do a new dub of Macross Plus and everything else, and for like, two or three
0: years, it's just non-stop, like, Macross as if it was new. See, I would have- That's f- the dream. I can more easily imagine Netflix doing that. Mm. Uh, I was I was kind of hoping that Netflix would swoop in and outbid Harmony Gold on all the Macross stuff. They
1: did it with the
0: Evangelion. Yeah, exactly. They would have they would have pulled an Evangelion. Um, and you know, completely redubbing everything from scratch is kind of it's kind of what they do, and it's kind of it could very well be what Macross needs, even if um, we kiss the Kevin Seymour dub from Macross Plus goodbye forever. Uh but yeah. Well that's because uh,
1: you get certain media preservationists trying to make versions of every dub possible. I, I definitely have a cop copies of Avon with both English dubs plus Japanese.
0: It's important work. But yeah, uh I think that just about wraps us up. Uh so Ashley, can you uh just let people know where they can find you on social media and online?
1: Um I really only maintain a Twitter account. Um the current name on la- on Twitter is, is called Bliss Wallpaper.
0: It's pretty just a throwaway Twitter name. And, uh, yeah, that's about it, really. And thanks for tuning in to Zonin Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at Jay Betteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood. Uh, and you can find that at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you use for, um, for your podcasts. And hey, just so you know, um, I have recently started a coffee account, and uh, since cafes and coffee shops seem to be opening again, I uh, wouldn't mind uh, a little a little extra money to spend on that. So if you can, uh, if you like what I do here on the show, you can support me if you head down to uh, coffeecom Canada That's ko icom Canada. You can uh, you can give me a tip, and I'd appreciate that a lot. That's all for this episode. Uh, see you again.